we're, we're all doctors now. <laughs> That's <laughs> idiots. Um, it, are we gonna? Is it? Are we gonna keep it funny? Yeah. I mean, we're Siri. We're doctors. <laughs> are you? Can doctors be funny? That's the question. We like this cow. It's kind of one of those things. It's like the duck. You know, you see a duck in the water, right? The duck looks like it's cool, but the duck's freaking working hard under the water. Whoa! I'm working hard, working hard. That's how our place is. We look cool, but we're working hard. You are now listening to the Duck Legs Podcast. Now we are doctors of physical therapy. Still bringing the raw content, not holding anything back. We're going to laugh, we're going to love, we're going to cry. We're going to touch each other some very sensitive places. The bullshit that you're about to hear is definitely not any kind of medical advice, and you should not listen to this at all. This is for entertainment purposes only, and we say that loosely. Doctor, Doctor Gregory Lehman is on. Can I say doctor, or do you? Is it? Do you? Well, is I, don't care. I never, I never, I never use it. I mean, I might. Um, it's often used like uh, online places. Uh, but I never introduce myself with it, or my patients will never call me that. Do you think that will, does that help at all with buy-in? Have you found like whether you use doctor or not? Yeah, it, 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 it probably does. But uh, uh, so I understand why people use it with their patients and things like that. But uh, amongst like peers, I, I certainly don't. Or people who are my patients, I wouldn't. But awesome. that's just, yeah. And uh, and sorry that I don't know this already, but you live and work out of where? Is it? Are you in Ontario? Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Toronto. Yeah. Ontario is huge. It's bigger than Texas. Probably like three <laughs> Texas. <laughs> that that's absurd. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And as an American, I of course know nothing of of uh, Canadian geography. So. No. We'll just... <laughs> this is this is the Southern uh, public education system over here of the states. But, but I am, I am kind of upset with you because here I am just hanging out on the, uh, on your website, your, your fantastic website of, uh, reconciling biomechanics, uh, with pain science. And I'm scrolling through the courses. Right. And then I see an Austin, Texas date and I'm like, holy shit. I live in Austin, Texas. I've heard so many great things about this course. I can't wait to sign up in August. <laughs> then what happens a couple months later, go on the website what happened to the Austin, Texas court state, Greg? Yeah, yeah. What happened? Uh, uh, we, well, in, in order to do it, like, we need a, a lot of people to sign up early, right? Ah. And uh, we, we didn't have that. And so uh, there was that, and I just had other things in September. It's hard traveling all the time. Yeah. So I had to pull the shoot. Ah, that's, that's okay, man. I'll, uh, go. We were looking at moving to Austin. Oh shit! I'm disappointed. Yeah, we still might. It's a bit far. Like we're trying to find a place that we could drive to. Yeah, and driving from Toronto to Austin is like 24 hours, so that's not happening. Yeah, that's that's not ideal. Commuting. No. We'll go to we'll go to Charleston or something. Gotta go to the East Coast. There you go. But yeah, I uh, now I feel bad because I definitely should have marketed that. I should have I should have blasted oh, well. up. No worries. But then I but then I see. Um, You'll, you'll, you will be in Monroe, Louisiana coming up. Yeah, right? I have no idea where that is. That's by you guys? <laughs> Dude, I was wondering, like, wait, so you canceled the Austin date, but then somehow we're in a random part of Louisiana. Yeah, so Monroe is a little north, uh, north Louisiana city. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah not, that's, that's next year, though. That's like 2019, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> but, I don't know. But, yeah, a little bit less exciting than, than Austin. Um, oh, well. But yeah, and I can say that being a Louisiana boy. But okay. enough enough about the southern states. We have Melanie Hudson as well, and you are from or you you go to school in Virginia, right, Melanie? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in Roanoke, Virginia, right now. Oh snap! Mm-hmm. That gave me like American Horror Story flashbacks now. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So just give us a little bit about yourself, Melanie. Uh, so I'm technically now a second year student. I just finished up my first year and my first clinical internship over the summer. Um, so now I'm kind of just enjoying a few weeks off. And then we start back um, in like a week and 
and a half or so. And yeah. Good. How long is the program? It's three years total. Okay. You're almost done. Yeah. Third of the way there. And Melanie also has the best Instagram handle. (laughs) Oreos and squats. Okay. Yeah, I mean the last. So the last podcast I was on, they were writing my handle down to like tell people what it was. And when he read it, he read it as Oreo Sand Squats. And so now there's like this running joke about me patenting this like this new type of squat with my patients. Like, okay, today we're gonna do some Sand Squats. And there's, like, yeah. There's your Con Ed course potential there, Melanie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I don't know what Greg will think about that marketing, but uh, we can we can ask him later. Oh, um, I don't know shit about marketing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Melanie, let's get us let's get us started. Fire away. All right. Oh, I'm starting. All right. <laughs> um. Okay. So, well, I guess I'll just dive right in. I had a question that kind of I used. So I really love the book that you put out, Greg. That. Um, I use the cup analogy a lot. I know you probably get that a lot, but I use that a lot this summer with my patients. Um, and like, I had this one case where I had created like a ton of buy-in, like we were really getting somewhere. And then, you know how there's like those external factors, like maybe a family member or another healthcare provider who kind of brings the patient back to feeling like helpless or like they can't manage their pain effectively how do you deal when you kind of temporarily lose that buy-in with a patient or feel like your voice isn't maybe the loudest one being heard by them? Um, I, I mean, uh, the negative part is, is, is sometimes you, you, you can't, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you're in the business of behavior change and changing people's beliefs, there are, are, are you can only do, do so much. So I, I wouldn't beat yourself up. That's for sure. I mean, because they've only known you for a few weeks or months or something like that. And, and they buy in with a new message that is hopefully, you know, helpful. But this family member that, that might have a lot of influence on them. So it's it, it, it's certainly really difficult. So, number one, you know, it, it's OK to lose them. And the idea there is that that's the boomerang idea right you, you you still give the best information you can and you still do the best job you can and and you might lose them for a bit and they listen to their family member and that doesn't work for a while and then maybe they come back to you months later or they they come back to another therapist um who helps them with the similar message that you've been giving so that that's the big one like when when we're giving this like this different message about pain it's uh there's competing views I mean, you, 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 you can't change everyone. So that, that, that's the big thing there. So you just gotta, you have to be consistent and, um, and, and you might, then the other idea is you, you, uh, you talk to them about it and uh, uh, just find out exactly what that other person said and kind of ask them what they think about it and, and what they think about what, what you've said, like, don't put them on the spot or anything, but sort of really understand whatever that setback is. Like, I'm assuming that, their family member told them something that was false about their pain or something, but they've taken to, and it's hurt them. Is that, is that sort of what you're saying mostly, or is it that they had some really shitty thing happen in their life? So they've had a flare up of pain. Well, there was, there, there was like an instance where I kind of explained it in a way that she was really on board and understood that her flare up was not necessarily like, Oh my gosh, I'm broken. But then she ended up going and getting some imaging so yeah. that contributed. And then her family member had kind of associated the fact that she had been coming to PT with these findings on the imaging and kind of, we were doing some pretty low level stuff, but somehow she was still convinced that it was what caused all these like issues. So it was, and the family member was there in front of me too. So it was like a very interesting situation to be in as a student. Cause I was like, Oh gosh, how do I not um, mess this up? You know? So uh- Often with ones like that, especially with imaging, we don't have to tell people, no, that imaging is totally unrelated. You know, some people do that. Uh, and I don't think that's, that's even accurate. You can just say that imaging is, you know, if you go back to your cup analogy, it's, it's one thing that's in the cup that could be sensitizing them, but it doesn't have to change to get out of pain. 
So you can almost be like, yeah, yeah, the, your family member, that, that's not unreasonable. We know why people say those things. That's sort of the yes and approach. So let's, but we can't do much about it. Um, uh, but we can learn to adapt to it. And this is why the rehab is still the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the idea. Like you don't, you don't have to like blow, blow up the person, the, the other person's beliefs or anything like that. You can recognize them, but then just move on and focus on something else. Yeah, yeah sure. it'd be unfair to put pressure on herself to say we we have to completely change what everyone thinks about pain and imaging because look at our profession, right? We're not we're not changing like we can't do that in our own profession right now. Mm. So we <laughs> have all this. so re- two reasonable people can look at the same data and have different views on it. And, and, and that's okay. So we shouldn't get caught up in completely making everyone think what we think, but then we can still work with them to do the, the right thing that, that will help them, even if they have those older beliefs or different beliefs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, give yourself a break. <laughs> that's a big thing. I think I heard you um, on another podcast where you were saying the same type of thing about, you know, students like, okay, you're not going to be able to like change everything at one, like in one session, you know, and I know a lot of people that's like a common message with clinicians that um, I really look up to that they keep saying, you know, students, you're not going to just change everyone's beliefs like in five minutes. So that was really reassuring. And and people aren't going to get better like the bullshit online with people selling courses and the manual therapy gurus or exercise therapy gurus saying i get everybody better in one to three visits that's so that's nonsense right like things take time you go online you'll see some miraculous video of someone feeling better after one session those things certainly can happen but we shouldn't expect them to be the norm and then when you hold yourself up against those standards, you start feeling like garbage when you're practicing. Yeah. And, and it's just not true. Like it's, it's, a, it's a really horrible message. Like the whole continuing education thing really bothers me because one, they either put themselves out there as these gurus where everyone gets better so quickly or uh, two, they sell this. Every, every program does the same thing. It's like, you know, make people feel stupid yeah. And then pretend that th- that's, that's the huge thing. They like, they like make people feel dumb. Like, Oh, I don't understand that stuff. You know, that's so amazing. And then, you know, and then I don't know anything about that. And then they sort of say that they have all the answers and uh, it's really horrible to put people down in order to build themselves up. So it's, it's I, that one technique or philosophy that I don't know yet. That's going to make all the difference. Yeah. I mean, and it's couched often it's just couched in some neuroscience or biomechanical garbage. And then and that's why it's the whole thing of, of like debunking BS. Like it takes a lot of work to do that. You know, it takes a lot of work to say, Oh, okay. I don't need to worry about this anymore. Like I read so much and it's really just to say, ah, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's too bad that we have to do that. You know, we, we need, we need, that's what the internet's good for. We need more repositories of people, you know, writing reviews on, like, I, I, I keep saying this for months and I have it like done in my head and done rough. It's like 10 things you don't have to worry about when it comes to pain and injury because we spend so much time on that, <laughs> yeah. you know, both for clinicians and patients, like their glutes turning off or their spine being unstable. Well, so, sometimes some you get gluteal that. amnesia. That's just a thing that happens. Yeah, no shit. I mean, I mean, th- th- those are tough to debunk because there's kernels of truth in there, right? Like, yeah, I-, I wouldn't doubt that maybe someone that lifting high loads or sprinting quite hard, you know, they're, 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 they might have a bias toward using their hamstrings or something like that, yeah. and they don't engage their glutes as much as they could. So in a high load activity, that that might be important. But if you're just walking around or doing simple bodyweight squats or getting off your couch, then, you know, your glutes not firing is not a big deal. One, when you walk, they hardly work at all, you know? And then what's so neat with the glute thing, I didn't mean to get into this, like there's way more evidence that the glutes are more active rather than underactive when people have pain, Mm. right? So anyways, that, that, those are the things that we need. We got to take these like kernels, like these ideas that people have and really investigate them. And when you really understand it, you're like, 
oh, I probably don't need to worry about that so much. I think that's, I forget when I came across your website and started you know, learning more of your work, but uh, I know uh, my co-host and I, what, that moment when you do come across a lot of uh, the, you know, the, the topics and subject matter that you teach, as, as awesome as it is, there is that feeling of like, I, I kind of related to when I was a kid and my mom sat me down and it's like, hey, so we've been bringing you those presents on Chris on December 25th, right? So Santa Claus isn't real. I'm sorry, Jared. And it's, it's, and I know somebody's labeled you as like a movement nihilist, but I definitely appreciate the term movement optimist and, and you know, that more of that description because it, it's, you make it so simple, you know, it, I rehab the rehab journey. It's hard. It's complex or it's hard. Right. But it's, Overall, it's simple. The- yeah, like our what we do can be simple, but what happens can be complicated and complex, right? That, that so we can have simple interventions that have complicated effects. Yeah, right. And 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 so the I mean, when you if someone has knee away, giving them squats and sand squats for sure, like <laughs> yeah. is definitely like super helpful uh, for some people. But, and that's a simple intervention. Like you, you just need to do these knee exercises and hip exercises and ankle exercises and do more activity and maybe do a little bit less of the things that really aggravate you. Okay, that's the simple intervention, right? The, uh, but it has incredibly complicated effects on the body. We don't know the mechanism of why someone feels better after 12 weeks of exercise. Right. That's what's amazing. Right? Yeah. We don't know the true target or the thing that has to change. And that's fine. The most important thing is that those people do those exercises, they buy in and they have some hope. And then they start doing again, that doing things again that are meaningful to them. You know, so simple intervention, complex effects, which is OK with me. And I think that's that's the most comforting thing to me, especially nearing graduation when I, when I will be doing this shit for real. Because as a student, you go, you kind of get hammered with all this information. Uh, and if you're on social media, you kind of get your, your ego hit when you see all everybody selling a Con Ed course and there's so much information on Instagram and like misinformation, uh, good information, uh, you know, people with their own spin on the newest exercise for your gluteal amnesia. So there's so much information coming at you that sometimes you, you can get an inferior, inferiority complex and you can feel like you have no idea what you're doing. And you need to go spend a bunch of money on Con Ed, or maybe you need to go to that residency and get paid shit for a year. But then <laughs> when we come across to, to your website and to, you know, reading your stuff on social media, the dark side, if you will, you, there's this huge sense of unease. Cause <laughs> not, not that you're like, cause at some point you're like, well, fuck nothing matters then nothing fucking matters. Um, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But, but it's also so comforting cause you're like, look, People just need to calm the fuck down so we can build them back up. How does this shit happen? How does this shit work? Who gives a fuck? It just like, don't, don't stop asking all those questions, Jared. Just get people moving. Yeah. I mean, you can still ask those questions of how it works. We always want to do that. Like to me, the, the, the big question that you want to ask is, and I don't, we don't do this enough is what's the active ingredient of the therapy? Like what is it that's really helping this person? You know, like look at a lot of different therapies out there and they help a lot of people, but they're doing things incredibly different. So what is the active thing? What's the common thing that they're all, all, all doing? And I always try to do that. And that's the big thrust of the course is like lots of discussion on that. Like my wife, uh, you know, do you guys know the GLAD trial for hip? Is it? Oh, God. Is for NEOA? Have you heard of this? I don't think okay. so. So it's out of Denmark. And it's an exercise intervention for NEOA down across Denmark, like huge numbers. Um, and it's, you know, when I look at it, it seems incredibly simple. It's, it's basic, simple exercises, you know, done two or three times a week for 12 weeks. There's a pain science component where people are taught, you know, it's okay to stress your knees. But then there's this complex component where they think they're doing neuromuscular retraining. So that's that the exercises have to be done in, in a proper way and they get very technical. And so to me, I'm like, 
you haven't really proven that it's a neuromuscular, like you're retraining moving patterns and turning the muscles on in the right order. You know, you, you don't have a control group where you just did basic, simple strength exercises. Mm. So there's an example of, it looks pretty complicated. And now they're going around teaching people. And it bugs me here in Canada because my wife's doing a public health uh, degree on this where you have to be a physio to teach it, to have people do it. And to me, it's, it's just an exercise program. And, you know, you're, you're sort of, my wife, it bothers my wife because it, and me too, because you're decreasing the number of people that can, you know, uh, teach this program to all the thousands of people that need help. Not everyone has physio coverage in Canada. Mm. So you look at something like that, which looks like a simple exercise program, but it seems like they make it kind of complicated and you need special training to do it. And that kind of stuff bothers me because I'm like, well, what's really going on here? It's just simple exercise, but people are doing it, but no one sells it that way. They sell it as this complicated approach. And, you know, I, I think that's like kind of an analogy for everything that we do in physio, certainly Cairo as well. Not necessary. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got my rant on there. No, that's, that's, that's why we have you on. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to hear Melanie's uh, you know, opinion on this too, because one, one of our, uh, our other co-hosts who isn't here, who I keep bringing up, we were, we were talking recently, uh, you know, uh, going back in our internship experience, and with, with some educators that you have on internship, you know, not that it's a super bad thing, but there is a sense when an educator wants to really prove the point of like, hey, the stuff we're doing here is high level. You need, <laughs> to, you need to be really smart to understand what we're doing. And because you don't know these few words, you're a dummy. <laughs> or this is why you need to take our residency, this, you know, do you do you have a full understanding of what's exactly going on here to make the person better? And you know, after after sitting around for a while, you realize that the educator the educator doesn't have a full grasp on it. Yeah. And and who cares, right? The it's there's so many avenues we can go we can go so uh, deeply into the person's psychology and did they buy in or not? Like, was it did they was it regression to the mean that how they got better or did did, did the CBD oil actually do anything for them? Probably not that, but I don't, that's a whole other discussion. But I think just what you said, there is that, there is that, uh, I don't know if it's an inferiority complex or something, but we just, some people want to make shit harder than it is. I don't know if it's to stroke their own ego or just to rationalize the fact that we spent all this money to go in debt for something that maybe a personal trainer can just get a patient better than we could sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I think all those things are involved. I wouldn't worry about it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing fucking matters. Thank you. Yeah, you're all going to die. We're, we're all going to fucking die, listeners. How about that? You happy? There's no meaning. Yeah. There's, there's no meaning. What you got, Melanie? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I agree. I definitely have noticed that as well, that um, uh, I'm trying to choose my words carefully. <laughs> no, don't, don't be careful here. Well, I mean, the, the last internship, well, the only internship I've done so far, but it was at a McKenzie certified clinic. So it was, um, it was only one certain way of thinking, you know, cause they use like the classification model and stuff. And so I kind of, I struggled a little bit because I wasn't, obviously that takes a lot of years and they have multiple like courses and modules that you have to go through to be able to understand the full picture. And I definitely felt inferior at some times because I wouldn't really be following along because it's a completely different way of approaching things. And so I just felt lost and kind of dumb a lot. And then I'm like, wait, why can't we just get them moving? Um, just like in general, but like my CI used to say, not all movement is good specific movement is good. And so I just felt like I didn't know anything because <laughs> I just had so much conflicting information in my head, you know, like between what we're taught in school, between what I see like in my own research and then between like what I was seeing in clinic. Uh, oh, that's too bad. Cause like they, they haven't tested that, like just to, to make a big blanket statement there. Like no one showed like, so, I mean, I, I, I like Mackenzie and I like, I like a lot of the instructors in the programming, you know, cause it gets difficult and complicated because they have their jargon and theories behind everything. But when you look and practice what they do, 
you know, it's, and they're open to different explanations for that things. Mm -hmm. Like if, if it's a specific movement, I'm guessing they're talking about like finding a directional yes. preference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, that's just symptom modification. So you find something that hurts, they stop doing that <laughs> and then find something that feels good. Do lots of that. Right. Re re repeatedly. And then what's so cool with Mackenzie, which people forget, I'm not the Mackenzie people, of course, is, is then they then they go back and reintroduce the thing that was once painful. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's the idea. But it's it's and so what's there's nothing wrong with that. But it's it seems like then what your instructor did there was they made up rules around that. Like, don't do these other things as if it's going to get in the way of the directional preference and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's I mean, really nothing they've ever tested. That's where the dogma comes in. Yeah. Instead I mean, of looking for their act, sorry, instead of looking for their active ingredient, you know, which was do something that feels good and keep doing it to desensitize it. Instead of just focusing on that, they made you like memorize a bunch of other stuff that was probably uh, irrelevant and superfluous. Yeah, that was, uh, we had a lot of conversations about that because I definitely really struggled with it. I felt that in the beginning, his explanations were very mechanical and I was obviously struggling, you know, like I asked him, okay, I was like, why, why do you use, you know, like the jelly donut analogy when we know how that can affect patients? Um, because I actually personally was given the jelly donut analogy with my back pain and it like, yeah me up like I was so scared to squat for the longest time because I thought I was going to re-herniate my disc like I was so terrified <laughs> and um so I avoided it for a really long time and then actually I started reading about pain science and understanding it more as a sensitization and I started reintroducing squats you know like box squats and then progressing back and that's what got me through it you know it wasn't the like I thought I had to just do extension exercises forever um, or like my disc was just going to like pop back out. And uh, so I was like, and I, I explained that to him because, and I was like, that's kind of what it did to me. And I was like, aren't you concerned that our patients may be seeing it that way? And so since then he kind of stopped using that analogy as much just because he agreed. He was like, yeah, we don't really know if it's a disc or what it is, but we do know that like he was saying, he just likes using stories like that because he finds that they're helpful for patients. Yeah. So kind of like a follow-up question I guess I have for you is um, I know you mentioned before just being comfortable with like ambiguity and uncertainty when you're um, like behind the mechanisms and like what you tell your patients. How do you suggest like explaining something to a patient? Maybe you have them do a certain exercise or certain movement and it helps with their symptoms and you're not really sure why, like you don't really know the mechanism behind it. How do you explain that without kind of making yourself sound like you don't know what's going on rather well, I, I know what you're saying like we we can still have a you can still be optimistic and 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 they're exercising like you can still say like so what's the fundamental of of why exercise helps that's that's what i mean about finding the active ingredient if we have a better idea of like why things help people then we can explain it better so we could say simply like when it comes to the knee or the spine, the body, like here's a fundamental, this is what's in the workbook. Like a key message would be like the body naturally responds to stress. You know, people respond to stress, you know, like if in order, when you guys work and we get more pressure in your life, you, like you can get better at tolerating, you know, being busier that, that that's a fundamental of being a, a human. Sometimes when we do too much and have too much stress, we, we can't tolerate it, but if you want to tolerate a lot of stress, you have to start doing something. So physically it's the same thing as well. You know, when the knee or the spine is hurt, yeah, it's okay to back off for a little bit to let it calm down, but you need to start stressing it again, both to make it heal. Like, so you can stay in the mechanical world. You can say, yeah, this is, this is helping that tissue heal. Like loading up that knee, loading up that spine. That's what stimulates the bones to get stronger, the ligaments to get stronger, the tendons to get stronger. And then you can also say like, you know, when things hurt, it feels better when you move it and give like a simple of an, an analogy. You know, you, you wake up and you've been sleeping on your arm all night and it's sore. Or if you wake up and your elbow's sore, which happens all the time, no one says, I'm not going to move my elbow for the day, right? You check it out and start moving. So to me, we need to have like better fundamentals. So I, I have fundamentals that work for me 
you know, and, and, and that's how I explain my treatments. Does, does that make sense? Like rather than saying the disc is out, I'm like, no, the, the disc needs stress to adapt. That's the best thing you can do for it. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like we, and so your key message like that will, will change depending on your practice style. Like you might be a manual therapist and you could do the same thing. Well, we got to get the tissue moving again and moving it, you know, can help decrease the sensitivity. That's one of the best things De- helps decrease the, the, you know, the guarding. Or if, 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 more, if you're more of like an explanation therapist where you're talking more, you might, you might explain why they're fearful and that makes them not move and they're guarding and protecting. So if you can calm that down, then you can start doing normal movement again. It just depends whatever your fundamental is. You know, and that's what we need more of. Yeah. Thought, thought, does that make sense? Like rather than explaining the jelly donut and you're yeah, sticking sure. the back in the place, you say, no, it's good to move. This, this is why. And you can go way more into that. Like you could explain that how habituation occurs. You know, if you do something that's mildly painful, like if you guys punch a wall every day, it'll hurt at the start. But after three weeks, it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so see, I don't, I don't just say we don't know anything. I just go into different possible mechanisms for why things feel better. Yeah, for sure. That's really helpful. Thanks. Yep. Who even likes jelly donuts? (laughs) I've never wanted to eat a jelly donut like chocolate glaze. Yeah. But I know something about the jelly inside is just, I don't dig it. But yeah, I think one of, uh, one of my favorite moments on internship, it just happened a couple weeks ago. I was working with a, a total knee replacement patient and she, it was like her second course of therapy and, um, you know, doing really well. And then she had a fall and then, you know, we got her back on track. But, uh, during our, our eval, I, I threw out the term, not even thinking too much about it. I just threw out the term, hey, you know, motion is lotion and didn't really put too much emphasis on it. But then like, Towards the end of her care, she she kind of she she like loved that quote, and she like kept telling it to her to her friends and everything. And she was like, you know, I never really understood what physical therapy could do for me until you said motion is lotion. And I was like, yeah. well, goddamn! <laughs> All it took was a rhyme. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly there's the fundamental. So yeah, it's it's figuring out those like those little uh, uh, more positive ways to explain things. Right. And, and your, your McKenzie therapy might look the same and good instructors in McKenzie, they, they have other explanations, you know, that, that to me, it's a, it's a really interesting organization because they are, they are open to other ways, you know, and a lot of the, it's funny, a lot of the research that debunks their theories <laughs> was done by McKenzie therapists. Mm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. We do have about four minutes left, so I'll, I'll throw kind of a softball question at you okay. if we can take up the time. So uh, let's see, what, what are my softball questions? All right, this, this is kind of a cheesy, uh, cliche one, but if you could pick one person out of the history of the world to have dinner with, alive or dead, who would it be? I, my wife. I have three kids. We never <laughs> go out for dinner. Okay. You kidding me? I don't remember what she looked like. Oh, but but that's your uh, that's your stress adaptation, right? You have to adapt to the stress of three kids in a crazy lifestyle. Yeah, it's all right. All right, another another softball one. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought you were going to pull somebody like so like out of the woodwork. Um, like Camu. Like who? Camu. Yeah. Like since we. Talked about life having no meaning. Yes, man. No, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> but uh, are you a history buff at all? Do you uh, like? Is there a certain particular era in world history that fascinates you? Uh, no, no, I don't know stuff. Too egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> and n- none of it really matters, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing. Nothing of this shit matters. But no, I think um, just to, to kind of end this link out, I think there's there's a bunch of parallels that that I just see in, in a lot of your work and, and others kind of on the same track of just just understanding culture 
And I'll, I'll take it back to like anthropology 101 from like my undergrad days of, of just, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I almost want to go back in a time machine and just try to visualize or see like, when did low back pain become a thing? Like, was it caveman? Like, was it the Victorian era when people really, you know, became more vain or some shit? And it was like, you know, I don't know, but it, it just doesn't seem like, you know, cavemen or, or uh, you know, the people back in the day that were hunting uh, mammoths and had to walk across the fucking states were like that big of whiners about some ridiculous low back pain or some shit, if that makes sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being... No, they, they tried track. to answer that question. What, what did they find? Anything? Uh, um, well, it's longer than a minute. Okay. But <laughs> cliffhanger. there is some studies. Like, it, it's, 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 I, I never say the word right, but uh, it's when we create the dysfunction based, based on our explanations. Oh, so if you go to genesis? Some, yeah. Right. If you go to some, you know, uh, parts of the world where they don't have the medical care, they have low back pain. They just don't have the disability associated with their suffering. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so if you if you go into that where people are well-meaning and they go in to try to help them and they mess things up uh, more, I feel like in Australia there might be some of those studies or New Zealand. Yeah, Americans, yeah. Americans just fucking it up everywhere, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's normal to have low back pain. People have probably always had low back pain, but they haven't had this disability epidemic that we have. Which is all self-made potentially like that's certainly a contributor to it you're welcome i think i was listening to pain refrained or i can't remember what podcast it was where they were talking about that they went into like they went in somewhere and they like the culture there was that yeah they experienced back pain but they didn't have the narratives and disability associated with it so they never really knew like oh it's not a big deal like yeah i feel this but it wasn't necessarily debilitating you know uh yeah i mean and you can see it in north america and europe where i mean the this is a bit of a slam in the ergonomic industry but it's not like when we go in, it's not like back schools going in and giving educations on how to education on how to lift and how to prevent pain. Uh, those things aren't working. You know, the, the systematic reviews show that all that, you know, lifting retraining is unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, I, I, <clears throat> this is bigger than just, just technique, you know, and then there is some argument that we can make things worse when you go into, you know, industry and give this advice. Yeah, I feel like it makes people hyper aware too of just how they move and they start moving all robotically, you know, or like I'll hear patients all the time. They'll be like, oh, I, I know this happened because I I didn't like brace myself and squat down with proper posture before I picked up that pencil. And I'm like, I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure that that is what caused this issue. Yeah, I know. But it, it, it's odd. This is where you have biomechanists and pain resources like really disagreeing there are people that would say yeah it's the faulty spinal hygiene it's the accumulation of these bad postures i don't Mm -hmm. agree with that at at all but that that certainly is a north american uh biomechanical take that we've been saying for 30 years so it's 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 a pretty difficult debate um things like that or i mean we see it at the knee people's knee cave the knee caves in or the there's some hip adduction, so they're going to get glute med tendinopathy. You know, there, there's, uh, I guess my, my point here is like people say these things and there's surprisingly little research to, to support it. And it can certainly mess people up in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And it is, it is wild to, to observe someone who is afraid of forward flexion of the spine has had that. I got to see that a couple of weeks ago with, with a, a middle-aged woman and she was deathly afraid of bending forward. Like just to even pick up her purse, she would have her son do it. And it was, it was wild. Like yeah. I, I've, that was, that was just something I've never seen quite like that. Somebody who's like not really in pain, but just constantly. Oh, really? Yeah. But just assume like she has that assumption or, or belief system that. She probably used to have pain. 
I yeah, she was a pa- she was a patient, so I'm I'm assuming so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's where it's tough, right? Because that that avoidance strategy was probably helpful for her before, or at least she she thought it was. So now she doesn't want to get a massive flare up again because she remembers how horrible that was. And she assumed that it was because of the flexion. So now she's just avoiding it forever. Yeah. You know, so in some ways, like especially if she's still like not disabled, she's not especially if she's not disabled and she doesn't have a lot of pain. In some ways, it's kind of working for her. So it's all, that's always difficult, right? Sometimes it is good to avoid flexion or extension or twisting, right? But the, the debate is how long do you avoid it for? Yeah. That's, to me, that's the, that's the big question. That's like our, our, even our professional question. Like that's the expose or protect debate. They, they both are important and helpful sometimes. But when do you do one and when do you do the other? And that's a real clinical challenge. And that's what we fight about. <laughs> and there's no real, there's no right time for that, right? It's just all specific and independent, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, specific to the indiv- individual. And I, I don't think you can never know beforehand. You, you, you can have like general rules. If, if someone comes in with uh, to me and they have like an acute disc herniation and it's core and that's what the imaging shows. And it seems like there's leg pain and we, we know it takes time for tissue to heal. Uh, and so we're guessing that the disc is an oxyceptive driver. It's not unreasonable for me. And it hurts when they flex their spine a lot. You know, it wouldn't be unreasonable for me to, and they haven't tried to avoid flexion. You know, it'd be, it'd be uh, reasonable to maybe avoid flexion for a bit. But if someone had, you know, they've had pain for six months to a year and they've been avoiding like this, these are easy cases here and they've been avoiding flexion for six months to a year and they still have pain, then maybe it's time they start flexing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, those are the two extremes. And what's the challenges is somewhere in between there. And the hard part about that shit is just language and just all the psychology behind it. I think- yeah. I, I mean, I, I have patients where, they're doing really well. Uh, they're super afraid to flex because uh, they had flexion related, you know, ridiculous pain before, but they still, you know, ride their bike like their cyclists 10 to 20 hours a week and go m- mogul skiing. Yeah. Uh, so they are flexing their spine, but the avoidance during other activities is working for them. And so I, we have to make the decision, is it worth, you know, dramatically exposing this person to flexion flexion during activities well they're already kind of doing it you know so i mean they're they're kind of you know avoiding it during squatting and deadlifting that works for them so is it worth to really give them the jefferson curl not that i would ever do that but yeah (laughs) here's a barbell jefferson curl yeah probably not (laughs) Well, I was just gonna add a kind of little story. Um, (laughs) I think I realized this over the summer, like kind of with my CI was that um, I feel like when clinicians are in a time constraint, they kind of forget how important their language is. And I think sometimes no, we know what we know in our head. And when we say something, we don't realize how it sounds to someone who's hearing it for the first time. So while in our head, like we may be saying, okay, so um, right now, like, flexion really bothers you. So for now, we're going to avoid it. And that's kind of like what we're thinking in our head. But to them, it's like, oh, my God, bending forward caused all these problems. I, if I slouch, I'm going to re-injure myself. If I bend, I'm going to re-injure myself. And so in our head, maybe we think we're providing a certain narrative. And especially if we only have, like, 30 minutes with the person, um, we might kind of be skipping over, or if it's an initial eval, you know, you got to get through some other things as well. So I think sometimes we rush through things and don't really realize the impact our words are having. And like I was saying earlier, um, to Jared is like, I, I think I kind of was able to get him to see, okay, this is how my patients are interpreting what I, I say. And maybe I need to change the way I'm wording things. And I think once you get very into a specific like way of explaining things or way of doing things, it's helpful to have that outside 
like feedback, you know, to be like, okay, maybe, maybe reword that in some way so that your patient is really getting the important message, you know? Oh yeah. We always have to do that. That's why, you know, Karen O'Sullivan is famous and lots of people do this too, where you have your patients, you know, explain to you what you've said to them. Mm -hmm. I think Karen says like, you know, if you're going to tell your family or friends, you know, what the, the message from today's session was, what, what would you say? Right. That, that's that idea to, to check it. Cause it's amazing how, you know, it's exactly what you, you, you said, where we think we say something <laughs> and it can come across, you know, a little bit different. Yeah. Like you ask them to repeat it back and you're like, wait, how did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You told me never to move my spine that way. Right. That, yeah. And I'm weak. Got it. Boom. Jelly donuts. Got it. <laughs> that is crazy. I feel, and I've heard this, uh, this statement too, I think from, from Jeff Moore, I think he's big on it of, especially during a subjective of how we traditionally, we, especially in the biomechanic model, it's real easy for us to just pinpoint uh, all the quote unquote dysfunction, right. And all the impairments that we're, we're trained to look for in school. And we end up making somebody feel like shit instead of taking the time to be like, when you do an MMT to be like, Oh, your hip strength is really good. And just throw more compliments their way. Yeah. As opposed to, you suck, you suck, this needs to be better. You're weak, fuck you. Get out of here. This yeah, we, we have a slide in the course. And Jeff, Jeff was in my course, and I know that he must have loved this stuff. Uh, and I know he added to it where we, we say, like, confronting people with their own strength. That, that, that's the idea. So instead of using your physical exam to point out everything that's wrong with them, you point out everything that's right. That's awesome. That, that that that's sort of the idea and i i know clinicians that have probably done that intuitively for years you you do a full exam and you know what the diagnosis is from the history but you still do this great exam to like first you get patient buy-in and develop that rapport um but you can also do it to say how great things are and to sort of say you know how how positive their prognosis is yeah. You know, point out to them that they have a wonderful straight leg raise and a one, and they don't have a you know painful slump and say you know these tests are pretty sensitive for ruling out you know a sensitized disc and radiculitis you know and they're like oh great I don't I don't have a sensitive disc herniation I'm like yeah that's probably what we could say from this you know, oh, yeah. those are pointing out you probably don't have a stress fracture because of all these reasons you know that's always fun to do. And are, when you're when you're talking to a patient, whether in the the eval or later on in their course of care, how often are you breaking out the pain scale? The uh, pain I never scale? do that. <laughs> I've never used a pain scale, except when I was a researcher. <laughs> I cringed so hard all summer because that was one of our like must ask questions. It was like not only was it what are you feeling now, it's what's the worst it's been since you've last come in. What's the best? It's and what's the average and I would just kind of like <laughs> I would kind of just you know tuck it in there in the middle of like our conversation and try and minimize its importance as much as I could but it was just rough like I was like okay like I was like I just gotta ask you a few questions just for like real quick like I was like I don't I don't want to draw your attention too much to like your symptoms blah, blah blah but what are you feeling right now you know and I just felt uh, I just wanted to not say it, you know? <laughs> no, I just, I just want to know what bothers them and what makes them better. And yeah, then, me too. Or whatever makes them better. And then I, I want to know what they're missing and what they really want from me and what they, what they, where they see themselves or hope to see themselves in a, a couple months or a couple weeks. Yeah. I don't, I, the, the, and if they tell me they want less pain, I'm like, great, then let's, I don't care if like eight to six, I don't, I have no idea what that means. So if pain's important, which it usually is, then our goal is just hopefully to have less pain, but I don't need to put a number on that. That doesn't, you're not objectively measuring pain because you put a number on it. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. It just like, it sucked because that was one of the measures that our clinic like made us do, you know? So I wasn't <laughs> like, it was like kind of, I felt like I didn't really have a choice. Yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah, no doubt. It's difficult. <laughs> and I, ideally, throughout that whole conversation with the patient, you—if it was up to you—do you even want to go into 
descriptors of their pain or you just want to keep it on their functional activities? What can we, how can we improve your specific goals? You can totally ask them how it feels and what does that pain feel like? Is it different? Does it change? And and the only reason I would ask those questions there is to, because they might be worried about that and not understand like the, the SI joints, a good example Like people come in, they'll have SI related pain, but it moves around, you know, and then they'll be like, Oh, but my therapist said, it's not acting like an SI joint, you know, that the, my pain is so weird to them. Why, why does it, why do I feel it down my leg and my leg feels funny. Like, so I'd ask those, those little nitty gritty questions to sort of explain uh, to them, like what the mechanism is. Like mm-hmm. that, that could be central sensitization. That's, you know, it's not weird for pain to move around when you've had it for a while. You know, that's maybe when you get into like a little bit of the neuroscience, but I don't do much of that. Like you're just, you're just sort of saying, this isn't weird. This is what, just what we do. Right. So that, that's why I'd want to know about the nature if, especially if they were, cause, cause they're, for some reason I might think they're worried about that. Got it. Yep. I love it. Love it. Confronting people with their own strength is probably going to be my favorite quote for the next two years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. You, you, I mean, to me, one goal of the first session is, is giving them that optimism, right? So how do you build a case for optimism? You're you're looking, if you're a lawyer, you're looking for evidence and you can find it in their history and you, and you can find it in your physical exam. Damn. Right. That's awesome. That's going to be the title of this episode, building sure. a case for optimism. Yep. And that's the idea. And that, and that's when you get those, and people say like, you just talk to people. I'm like, no, I don't just talk to people, but I think talking to people takes them from that. I always say this, that seven out of 10 to that five out of 10 of pain. And I don't even, like I just said, I don't give BAS. I'm just guessing. Right. It was like a five, right? <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I, it's just when they say, oh, I feel better already. And to me, you know, that that's a couple points um, yeah. on that scale. And, and that's what you want. Because then when someone says they feel better because you've spoken to them and they change their beliefs, what do they end up doing? Right? They do some physical intervention on their own. Yeah. Right? So is is pain science, whatever the hell that is, but it's talking about pain, just talking about pain, or are you really doing something physical? Or are you enabling something physical to happen? Because then that person says, oh, it's not so bad. I mean, I can go for a bike ride. Yes, you can. Go ride your bike. Okay, good. So is it is it now a biking intervention or is it a pain science intervention? Mm. I don't know. Both. That's awesome. Maybe. That's that. Yeah, by far throughout my, my experience in, in school and stuff, that's been the most fun when, you, when you're talk, just having that conversation with somebody. They're like, so can I like return to the thing that I love doing? And you're like, fuck yeah, go do yeah. it. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. It's really hard to say. It should be really hard to say no to those things. Yeah. Take that people who call us movement nihilists. Yeah, I know. Optimist. <laughs> Optimist, man. Oh, no, another one of the quotes that I love and Melanie can, uh, Feel free to chime in here too with this one. Is that a uh, preparation trumps quality? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like that too, since I said it, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's still rec- like, that's the whole thing. I don't care so much how people move. If someone's walking, I don't care if their knee caves in, especially if it doesn't hurt. If it hurts, sure. It's, it's worth, you know, changing it temporarily. Um, and that's sort of the, and again, there's probably cases where you don't want that knee caving in high load activities, jumping, especially in a young female athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Quality is important there to work on, but, but the preparation idea is really, you know, the, the big rocks are more important where slow graded loading and adapting those variables are more important than, you know, changing your hip adduction by two degrees. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, there's nothing profound in that statement. It's just pithy. You know, it's that, uh, that's it there. <laughs> There's another one, not profound, just pithy. Pithy. Stop being pithy. I think the, and one of the, the most powerful uh, blogs or comments I've read from you too is 
is it is capacity and resiliency pretty much over everything. Like if the person has the resiliency to with, withstand that knee valgus with walking or, or shitty form with deadlifting, then there, it's not that like it's, it's okay, but it's, it's not as serious as we can make it out to be. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, at people who strength train and deadlift a lot, you're, you're going to see a group of people who have a lot of spine flexion. Yeah. Uh, and other might other people might freak out about that and you talk to them they're like no i've been training hard for 10 years and they just have a good training program right that that's the important variable there right like no one like it'd be amazing but no one's done studies like this where you, you compared 20 you know 20 people in each group they're novice strength trainers and you follow you know you just slowly build both groups up over time same loading same training you know volume same speed all that stuff uh and the only thing that's different is one group is trained with like a super neutral spine which you can achieve anyway but let's say 65 degrees of flexion and the other group is trained uh, letting themselves go into 85 or sorry, 65% of max flexion. The other group goes to 85% of max, max flexion. I'd, I'd love to see the difference there. If there is any difference in pain after 10 years, like we have no studies like that. It's pretty amazing. I'm there'd be ridiculously hard to do, but we have nothing even comparable to that. Yeah. Damn. So much pithiness. <laughs> Melody knows a thing or two about deadlifts. Yeah. <laughs> and sand squats. Yep. Yeah, it was another movement I was terrified of for, for the longest time <laughs> was deadlifts. But now and you're deadlifting and squatting every day. Yeah. Well, not every day, yeah, but you know. Too much. That's that's preparation. <laughs> <laughs> way to make me look bad <laughs> <laughs> only only like a couple times a week good all right there you got go. it all <laughs> i think so melanie Any you got anything yeah i think i'm good thank you thank you for joining us yeah no problem my pleasure for sure man i there's how do you just all right last question okay how do you come up with, with all the great quotes and the great, uh, just all the, all the sayings, the catchphrases there's, are you, did you like, did you major in writing back in the day? Or did you, are you, <laughs> no, any specific comedic influences that influence your writing? Uh, no, no, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> all, all just naturally you I, I don't coming know. out. <laughs> I think you're all, if, if you're trying to simplify things then that that's sort of the idea how do you say something simply that uh, isn't too complicated so i do have a research paper that has like four sentences in it semicolons and dashes someone not not always that pithy it's like the worst title ever yeah anyways that's the secret keep it simple y'all it is yeah we're trying to and curse i does does cursing have an effect with buy-in would you say with most people because then it's just like, oh, this person's patient. authentic. Yeah, it depends on the patient, right? Yeah. Some people don't like it. I have been asked to curse less in my courses. <laughs> oh, fuck that. No. Now when you come to Austin, man, let it fly. Okay. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much, my man. Uh, no, no problem. If you, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, give a few plugs where people can reach you, email, website. Oh, okay. Um, well, my website's simple. It's just greglayman.ca. Uh, and then I'm mostly on Twitter with social media. Instagram is just like my gymnastics. <laughs> There's nothing. Yes. Every now and then I put a, a gymnastics tumbling. Uh, I rarely go on Facebook anymore. You know, I, I don't really like Facebook anymore. It's for old people, right? Uh, and Russians. Hey, okay. Uh, Twitter's just Greg Lehman. Uh and then and then but in 20, 2019 is that where we are yeah next year I'm in the states a lot that's like I specifically chose uh, 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 courses in the states so I'll be in I'll be in the, that's what we in Canada that's what we call the United States is the states oh the states 
Yeah, because you guys aren't really united. That's my joke. Uh, uh, that's that's very yeah. true. No, no, we that, that's in Canada. That's what we call the USA. It's like the states. Where are you going? I'm going to the states. You guys don't do that, eh? Uh no, yeah, that's that's more of a foreign thing for sure. Yeah, that's a foreign thing. You guys are the states, anyways. We're we're, we're America down here. Okay, this, this is America. Without an A. <laughs> that was yeah. America. America. Yeah. I don't know how Melanie says it, but yeah. I say awesome. the states too, actually. <laughs> oh, get out of here, Because <laughs> I'm foreign, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was yeah. going to. Yeah. All right. But yeah, so we'll, we'll throw in uh, the core states here uh, in, the, in the episode as well. And Melanie, where can people find you and reach you? Um, I'm mostly just on Instagram as Oreo Sand Squats. <laughs> <laughs> That's Oreos um, and Squats, not Oreo Sand Squats. Exactly. Um, there's just some mediocre lifting videos and some food on there. And I try to post some PT related content, you know, mostly just reposting better content by other people. There you go. Build up the, build up the optimism, y'all. Exactly. Thank y'all so much for hanging out. Greg, you go have a great vacation. Okay. Thank you. See y'all. Bye.